0: Oh, I like that. That was uh, the Grinch a la Jim Carrey. Did you recognize the classic Jim Carrey and that stuff? When I was a kid, that movie always scared me. The cartoon and then the movie later as an adult. Um, Hey, today we're going to talk not just about the Grinch and our second installment of our Christmas at the Movie series. I want to take you to your Bible. So if you have one with you, you can go to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have one, when we get to the verses, uh, they'll be up there on the side screen for you. Um, Christmas is one of those interesting holidays in, in the life of a church because it has been done from so many different angles and today what one of my jobs is is to help us understand that while christmas spirit which is what this story is all about christmas spirit uh, is a very nice and kind and good thing Um, nothing against that at all but in in the church to be the church we're not just interested in christmas spirit and whatever uh, amorphous definition you may have for that whatever it might mean on an individual level we're interested really in the gospel of jesus And the Bible talks specifically about Jesus, and that's why we constantly go there. And and what I want to make sure, just kind of jumping into it hardcore right at the front end, is that we don't confuse the two. Christmas spirit is a good thing. Hope you get caught up in it. Hope you get your warm fuzzies and all the, the, the nice stuff that happens and peace on earth, goodwill towards men, which has very deep connections to the gospel story. But on a specific level, the story of Jesus coming into the world is much more concrete much more direct, and has much more significance for us as believers in Jesus. And so I know not everybody in the room necessarily is a believer in Jesus or has yet decided to put their faith and trust in Him as the Lord of the universe and the Lord of their life. Um, And that's okay. Um, We we love the fact that you would come here if that's not where you are yet. And we designed this church in part to give you a safe place to, to consider that. And yet when we come together as the church each Sunday, we open up God's Word together to make sure that we hear from our Lord. That we open up our hearts all the way. And sometimes we connect with things through culture like that movie or songs that we might do. We think that a lot of times in culture people are grappling with the right issues. They're dealing with the right things. And, and we think that the gospel then provides the right solutions to those challenges and the right answers to those questions. And so that's why we consistently go there. In today's story, the reason we're talking about the Grinch is I want to take you to the Grinch of the New Testament a guy by the name of Herod. In history, he's called Herod the Great. He was born in about 74 B.C., and he died somewhere around 4 B.C., right at the time of Jesus' birth. And Herod the Great was was an interesting figure in in history. Um, He was a Jewish leader, but he didn't have all the pedigree of Judaism um, that normal leaders in that culture would have. He had a lot of pedigree with money, He had a lot of pedigree with people in power in Rome, and because of that, he was set up somewhat as a puppet ruler, and he was, in effect, told by Rome, do whatever you want. Excise taxes on whoever you want to excise taxes on, and and as long as Rome gets its cut of the share, and as long as you keep that rebellious group of people in that little area called Judea, you keep them in line, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And that's exactly what Herod the Great did. He's been called by a lot of names, Herod the Madman, Herod the Great, Herod the greatest builder in all of Jewish history. He rebuilt Solomon's Temple. Uh, He built Masada. If you've ever been there, looked at this mountaintop fortress. He he built all kinds of significant uh, ports along the seacoast. He was a major, major player in Jewish history. And in Matthew chapter 2, we find where a particular movement, a particular emotion, a particular set of behaviors that this Herod the Great participated in that completely intersect the Christmas story. And in effect, here's why he's the Grinch of the New Testament. He thought he could stop Christmas. He thought he could stop the birth of the Messiah from coming into the world. Being somewhat Jewish, he understood all the prophecies of the Old Testament. That one day God would give to this world a king. A king unlike any other king that had ever been born. A king like the world had never seen before. And, and this king would usher in a kingdom that would have no end. He would have, depending on how you read it, through what lens, he would have the greatest power any king had ever seen. He would be the greatest servant that the world had ever seen. He would literally give his life for the world. And every Jewish person, every, every studier of the Torah, they, would look, they looked forward to that event. It was said that every Jewish mother hoped when she had a son that that son would be the Messiah. And in Matthew chapter 2, we come upon the story where three magi or wise men from the east, we don't really know anything about them, three three wise men, stargazers perhaps, people of influence, we're not really sure what all all that goes into what it means to be wise men or magi, three magi from the east have observed in the heavens a star. And it causes them to acknowledge that literally, you know, a star has risen to signify a significant leader um, being born. Uh, his star was rising, so to speak. That's kind of where we get that, that phrase from. And so they begin to travel from the east, west, um, towards that little area of Judea. And when they get to the area of Judea, they begin to ask around, where is the one? Where's the one born of the Jews, the king? Where is this special one? We've seen his star and we followed him. That's the setup. Let me take you to the passage right now in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 2. The words, again, are on the, uh, the side screens, beside of us. So here's what it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, by the way, we don't know how long after, relatively shortly after, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, from the east, came to Jerusalem, which would have been the capital city, and asked, "'Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews?' We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now when Herod, King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed. It's interesting that during the Christmas event, yet unpacked, all the implications aren't fully known, and yet an entire culture is leaning forward in anticipation of this event. The emotion, the first emotion, kind of wrapped around it, is people are disturbed. I mean, Everywhere throughout the Christmas story, when you read about Mary and Joseph, and Mary finds out something great's going to happen to her, and Joseph finds out something great's kind of happening to them, their first emotions, are, they're a little perplexed. They're, they're a little disturbed. Um, it's not an immediately joyful embracing of all that's about to, about to come. When King Herod hears that the star has risen, that there's a king going to be born, he's disturbed. Now, his emotions are somewhat easy to understand, at least from a political level. If he's the king and there's a new king born, that doesn't play too well. I mean, he knows historically that one of the most dangerous jobs on all the earth is to be the king because everybody's out to get you. And, and you wonder who your friends are because you only have friends because of what you can do for them, how you can bless them, and how you can, you know, benefit their lives. And You know, in, in the story of the, the Grinch, you, you, you have a similar kind of thing going on. You have this, this guy on the outside... Uh, of the village of Hooville there and uh and he's been somewhat cast out he he looks at himself as the rejected one this is the very fear that's going in the mind of of our biblical grinch herod i'm going to be rejected my leadership is going to be overthrown i'm i'm going to be deposed if you will now i don't want to stretch too far a metaphor but i think when you look at the christmas story not just this one but all of them And you acknowledge the fact that there's a lot of mixed emotions happening at the same time. Some of the greatest news the world is ever going to hear. Now, it still has to be unpacked. People are waiting. They're anticipating. They're hopeful. They have their expectations set high. What often happens, though, in reality, where people live right on the street is a wide variety of emotions, a lot of different things going on in the holiday season. I hear it sometimes in the sidebar conversations we have. Some of my closer friends are more revealing, and, and Jill and I have our own conversations about the unique challenges and difficulties that are imposed upon our family at the holiday season. It's a time when everybody wants family to be close, and you know, everybody, everybody wants a sense of connection with each other. and we adjust our calendars with work and school and it facilitates some of that. And the promise of that connection is beautiful and lovely. It's why we watch stories like The Grinch and we, we, we love, you know, it's a wonderful life. And, and Hallmark holiday movies on Lifetime and all the ladies crying. And um, that, That's a sexist joke, I know, but um, anyway, uh, you get the idea. <laughs> the reason we, we love that is because there's this promise of something so wonderful. And yet the reality for a lot of us in the middle of it is a little less than that full Expectation we'd like to hit. Now, for Herod, he's coming from a, a selfish, power-hungry kind of place. The Grinch is feeling rejected, dejected from the, the culture. But I'm reminded at the holidays, maybe unlike any other time in, in the life cycle of, of the year, that, that every person longs to be accepted. We all long to be accepted. We all want a group to be a part of. We all want friends to do life with. When, when we first started this church, there were a couple of phrases we used over and over and over again. I don't know, maybe it's because we're coming into our 10th year. You know, next fall we'll have our 10-year anniversary. I've been reflecting a lot on the beginning, and it's at the end of the year anyway. I do some of that. But here, here are some of the phrases we used as we try to think about what it meant to be accepted. We, we use this phrase. It, it was a place where we wanted to love people and, and to be loved back. We didn't want to just constantly be pouring ourselves out. We knew that a healthy regimen of spirituality looks like you pour yourself out, but then you get built back up. So we wanted to love and be loved. And we wanted to know and be known so that we could cut through the surface and we could, we could get down a little deeper with each other. And, and if you had a challenge, it didn't mean we were going to kick you out. It meant that you could be honest about that. You know, acknowledging all the rules of public etiquette, uh, etiquette. Anyway, that some things aren't shared publicly in a big group, but in a small group, and when people really got, to, you could really know, and be known, and it would be okay if you weren't perfect and you had warts and, 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 and the whole bit. It, it was okay. And and then we didn't want to just like sit around and know and be known and love and be loved. We went on the positive side of scale. We wanted to celebrate each other and and to be celebrated so that something good happened to you. You didn't have to worry about whether or not we were going to be jealous if you shared that with us. There are a lot of other ways we talked about it, but the, the heart's desire we had was to create a place where no matter what was going on in a person's family, what was going on in their personal life, whatever baggage they brought to the room, that in this place, it would be a place where you could know and be known, love and be loved, and celebrate and be celebrated because at the core of of all of our hearts God wired us this way is this desire to be accepted and when that doesn't happen the sense of loss is pretty profound and you add to that at the holiday season sometimes maybe there's been a a death in the family a sense of separation alienation from somebody you love a sense that maybe the year didn't go all that you would like it to be in the middle of this wide variety of human emotions and experiences That we think maybe you're feeling this way today. That that you're the only one going through that sort of thing. You're the only one that feels that way. You're the only one that has those hopes, and it it hasn't fully hit its full development yet. It hasn't fully matured. That hope hasn't fully come to life. I want to draw your attention back to this story, in your Bible, for every major person on the eve of the greatest event in their lives. There was a sense of troubling, disturbingness. It wasn't all right. And yet it's in that very kind of a reality that God deposits His Son, Jesus, into the world. In fact, here's the way I'm thinking about it today. The event of Christmas itself is God's way of telling us that we're accepted. Humankind had separated themselves not only from each other, breakdown of family, breakdown of community, a certain hiddenness and and masking that everybody projects, but they had had separated themselves from their heavenly father as well. And God saw fit to come good on a promise he made a long time ago, that he would be for us, and not just for us from a distance, he would do it more powerfully and beautifully. He would be with us. So in the promises about Jesus at Christmas, there is this hope that God would come and dwell among us And show his acceptance of us. And he would pave the way. And as we followed him, he would make the mountaintop that we're reaching for. this know and be known, love and be loved, and celebrate and be celebrated. He would bring that mountain down low so that it could be accessible. And he would take the the valley experiences and he would raise them up. And he would literally, here's the language of Isaiah, captured for us in the song called the Hallelujah Chorus that often is sung at Christmas time. He would create for us this highway of life, level, plain, on which we could walk and begin to grab hold of these very things that we want for ourselves. And so when when I watch a movie like The Grinch and I see this dejected guy living on the edge of the community and from his mountaintop experience looking down and seeing what... The, this, this connection, this joy, this celebration that this community is having, you, you know what takes my heart? It takes my heart to a couple of places, back to an early group of people saying, we think that God would like to use a new church. You know, need more churches, but God would like to, to use a new church to do things a little differently and create that sense of community. And it takes my heart to our broader community, not just in our walls, but outside of our walls, to a group of people who don't understand that there really is a road, there's a path, there's a way to know and be known, to celebrate each other, to pull the mask off. And this fear of alienation and, and separation and the pain that often comes with that and this longing we have to be accepted, that Christmas promises that, and then God has delivered the gift. That's a gift that has to be unwrapped and it's sometimes packaged somewhat complicated and it's a lot to pull through, but there's this beautiful thing happening at Christmas. And so every year we, we pull back and we slow down the calendar, we reconnect in hopes of reconnecting the, with the very thing that God wanted for us. It's exactly why he sent his son Jesus. Now there's this whole idea of connecting with people and empowering people and, 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 and loving people and celebrating, it's lost on Herod. All he can think about is his small-minded, myopic way of viewing his world. What's it going to cost me? How's it going to impact me? Dr. Seuss says of the Grinch that his heart was two sizes too small. He couldn't grasp it all. He looked at it, he had envy, but it was elusive to him. He didn't have a spot for it. That's what the scene was showing when, when Grinch's heart is growing in his chest, and he begins to understand on a deeper level. I'd like to tell you that the Grinch of the New Testament had the same experience. He didn't. His ends much more tragically. In fact, let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. Herod has heard now that the, uh, the, the wise men are there, all Jerusalem is disturbed. And so, when he had called together all the people, this is Herod, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And, 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 he, and here's what they say. He's to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Bethlehem in Judea. That's what they replied. Now, now Bethlehem in Judea isn't just a, a little city. It, it, it's a city that has um, its roots with a major player in Jewish history, with David, the first great king of Israel. And so it's the royal city in a lot of ways. And and prophetically, if you read some of the Old Testament, there's some strong indication that that's where this king would come from. He'd come from the king's city, from David's city. In fact, he'd be of the house of David. And this bothers Herod a bit because his ties to that lineage is somewhat sketchy at best. And so he begins to get on a, on a maniacal mission to stop Christmas. Christmas. If you've seen the movie The Grinch, this is exactly what The Grinch does. He believes that by manipulating some external circumstances, he could stop this movement, this spiritual movement, this God movement, simply by rearranging some of the, the circumstances of the, of the life that they were all doing together. In Herod's case, he decides to murder all the little boy, boys born in this area that are under you know, two, two years old. Now, he wasn't sure exactly when the star rose, so he, just to take care of it all. Now, now, now Bethlehem at the time is probably not all that large. Now, may, maybe a few hundred families, maybe, maybe 20 to 40 young men would fall under this, this category. Young, young babies would fall under this category. But he's proving, number two, that he's missed the central issue. He's gotten distracted from the central issue of what was really, really going on. There were people alive when Jesus was born that knew that God was coming to be with them, but they didn't notice when it actually happened. didn't notice when it actually happened. You know, he calls together all the leaders, all the wise men, all the people who understand the scriptures, and and they're pretty specific. It's going to be in Bethlehem. The star doesn't say where, they just kind of go, so the wise men show up in Jerusalem, but these prophetic words, it's going to happen in, in, in Bethlehem. That's where you need to go. So Herod calls them all together, and in the middle of, of, of being on an honest search and an honest quest, he still misses the central issue that God is bringing a great gift into the world for all humanity, all of humanity. It's echoed over and over again in the Christmas story and the various passages we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. The primary one that comes to my mind is when the angels in heaven, the heavenly host, are speaking to the shepherds. And they say in the plural form in the Greek, it's very obvious. In English, we use the same word for a singular and plural. They say, unto you has been born a Savior. And, and you can take that very personal unto me, but it's a much broader understanding. Unto all of us has been born a Savior. And yet the central issue is lost. Let me do a quick survey with you of why there's so much confusion in Herod's day. The people wanted a king who would come in splendor. That's what they understood about when they, when they thought about kings. But God gave a king who, who was clothed in humility. The book of Philippians tells us this, that, that Jesus didn't think of himself so highly that he was unable to disrobe himself is the language it gives us, to literally take off his royal garments and descend to be with us so that the king who would rule like no other king, whose kingdom would never end, he doesn't begin in splendor, he begins in humility. The people wanted a king who would separate and divide and perhaps pull Israel out from underneath the the oppressive rule of Rome. The oppressive rule of a tyrant like like Herod with his aggressive taxing and big building projects. But God gave a king who would bring people together reunite husbands and wives and fathers and their children, communities together. And the people wanted a king who would save them from their enemies. But God did something profound here, and instead he sent a king that would save people from their their own sins. On a very personal level, deals with the root issue of what's really wrong. A powerful gift. It's a gift that keeps giving, the gift of Jesus. Now, when Herod, it's contemplating where he is from his limited perspective and he's the, he can't see the forest for the trees because he's so enmeshed in his own thing the bible says just a few verses later that he sent them the wise men then to bethlehem and he said now go and search carefully for the child and as soon as you find him report to me so that i too may go and worship him he had this mistaken idea that somehow he could stop christmas and, and, and here, here, here's an interesting thing for me, just kind of theologically, is that some people still think they can stop Christmas, but if you take Christmas to mean Jesus coming, some people still think they can stop it. That this work that God's doing in the world is something that just by adjusting a few externals, we can stop it. By, by the Grinch in our, in our story going down and stealing the Christmas trimmings and the gifts, that somehow it would stop everything. By killing a few babies, then God's plan is going to be thwarted. If the Christmas story is about anything else, it's about a promise fulfilled by our Heavenly Father. That what He said He would do, He actually does. That He can be trusted completely. And I think about the community outside these walls, the community in these walls, and we all long for acceptance, and yet it's real easy to get, it, get distracted by our own myopic short-sighted sense of what we think we need in the moment. And sometimes God is working all around us and we don't even see it. And yet at Christmas, we're reminded that God has this way of breaking into time and space, breaking into our shells and doing something profound in our lives. That not only does he want to do that, he's capable of do that, doing that. And not only is he capable, of it, but no force can stop God's agenda. God only needs, you know, a willing vessel, and a profound movement of God can begin. What this means is no matter what is going on in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your finances, in your health, God is capable. God is able, and nothing can stop his movement. This is what makes little grandmas continue to pray for their grandkids, When the evidence in the life of that grandchild doesn't look anything like God's agenda for the kid, grandma keeps praying because she has lived long enough to know that God is trustworthy. It's what makes moms continue to bow their heads and lift up their kids. It's what makes makes fathers continue to sacrifice to make sure there's room and consideration for the God stuff in the family house. It's what makes a single woman or a single man continue to pray if this is their heart, this is what they want. God, I know you have a person for me. Because they have discovered that God is trustworthy and we see that here in the Christmas story. That Herod the Great, in all of his greatness, cannot stop it. And the culture is wrestling with this stuff all the time. This is why they make movies like The Grinch, and they get so close, and it mirrors in a lot of ways the very gospel message, the difference that Jesus coming into the world really means. They get so close to it. And behind this isn't simply a warm, fuzzy story about a heart two sizes too small that grows three sizes. You know, in the story of The Grinch, it actually grows larger than its deformity, than its shortness. I mean, there's greater capacity. Really cool thing there. But it's about a God in the middle of it who's capable and able and does, in fact, make real change. So here's how our story unpacks in verse, in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 2. He calls the wise men back in. Here does. He has the conversation with them. And then verse 9 says this. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose and went ahead of them, uh, it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They're on a journey. They're searching. They've reached their destination. They're they're thrilled. And on coming to the, the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped. I don't know the full status of these magi or, or kings or wise men from the east, but the bowing down was was a significant cultural sign of a place of of posture. And so, whatever position they held and wherever they came from, now they've reached the destination, and they literally humble themselves in worship. They acknowledge and worship the worth of that child. That's what worship is. It's acknowledging the worth of the object we're worshiping. It's worth-ship, if you will. It's a little side note. It always is fascinating to me as a pastor when somebody comes into, into this room and they have a heart for Jesus and and we create a, an environment where people are able to worship. We don't you know, always maybe do somebody's personal favorite style or Or, you know, it's a little more loud or not loud enough, or the wrong song choice from the wrong decade, or whatever else. And and, and there's this debate about whether or not one can worship. The the wise men have traveled. They spent dollars, I mean, like Major Jack, in getting to the place. And when they come into the arena where the object of the worthiness is there, they do what all worshiping people do they humble themselves. I can tell you that there's never an environment in which God's people can't worship. We believe God is everywhere present. We believe that he's always there, that Emmanuel, one of the names of Jesus at Christmas, that's kind of his title, God with us, means that he is always present. And so that no matter what circumstance we're in, we can worship him there. Whether people are singing songs you like or don't like. In the case of Paul and Silas, in the book of Acts, that happens after the Christmas event, they're in prison together in stocks and chains. Nobody's playing music. Nobody's playing their favorite song. And the Bible says they begin to sing and worship the God that is present with them in the prison. And so, It's what makes people who have very little in, in, in an environment like ours where commercialization has almost run amok and they have very little to share with each other but they have a heart for God. It's what allows them to experience all the warmth and blessing of Christmas. Because the object of worship isn't them. And it's not just a a feel-goodism that they're aspiring towards. It's an acknowledgement that God has come and lives among us. And we can, in this very place, with this very set of circumstances, lift our hearts to the one who is worthy. And we do that by lowering ourselves. It's a beautiful picture of what Christmas is. When a group of people far away who only have a hint start on a journey to search, and the very king with all the power right next to the event itself, completely surrounded by people who know all about the event, they get it and he misses it. It's tragic what happens in the lives of believers who say with our mouth and believe on some level in our hearts that God is with us. And yet we face our challenges as if he hasn't come, as if he's not there. We don't call out to our God who's with us. The Bible says it this way, he's a very present help in a time of trouble. When I come to Christmas, it's hard for me because I get caught up on sermonizing and churching and shopping and eating and partying and traveling and it's hard sometimes for me to remember in the middle of all this here's what's really going on there is a god who is worthy of worship and no matter what's going on in my life he's right there with me and the gift of christmas isn't that jesus simply came in times past it's that he's still here and still among us by His Spirit, doing His work in our lives. And I can be like Herod, consumed with the stuff of Christmas, the stuff of the event itself, and miss the very point. Or I can be like the wise men who have sometimes little information, and yet the openness, the sincerity of their search brings them to the very place where their longing is met. Their heart is satisfied. The wise men didn't just come and worship him emotionally, if you will. They brought gifts. A lot has been made about these gifts, but the the very simple fact is is that the gifts show the clarity that they had about this newborn king. They brought him gold, which is something you might expect a king to have. Frankincense, which is a a type of sweet-smelling um, material that priests, people who connect people to God, used in their worship. Jesus as priest and king, these are prophetic um, understandings, theological understandings of what this king would be like. He would not only be a, a king who rules in power and might and authority, but he would literally help people connect with God. But it's the last gift that they gave them, myrrh, kind of an oily substance used for the dressing of the bodies of the dead. You know, not, was not a lot was known of germ theory and all that stuff that was going on then, and so people's bodies would, would smell quickly. And so what they would do is they would, they would bathe the body with this sweet-smelling perfume as people performed their morning ceremonies for two or three days, and then they would put the body in the ground somewhere. And so the gift of gold, frankincense, but specifically myrrh, anticipates the full meaning and impact of what Christmas is all about, that Jesus came to give his life fully, not live in the lap of luxury like Herod. But he came to be among us, to connect us to each other, to connect us to our Heavenly Father, connect us to our purpose in life. I read a story like this, or I watch a show like that, And it reminds me that no one can stop Jesus coming. No one can stop Christmas. And it's never too late for anyone to find it. Now You would think that here are the Magi in Herod's house and Herod has concocted a scheme. You go find him. When you find him, you come back and tell me. And the moment they leave, he he, he issues out a decree. Kill all the boys under two years old. We're going to get rid of this threat. But the Bible says that the Magi are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they leave a different way. Mary and Joseph escape down to Egypt. And the Christ child is saved, and the gift of Christmas is there, and Jesus grows up and does his profound work. And the babe that is born in great humility lives, in, uh, lives his life in similar humility, and he dies in great humility. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the grave. And he ushers in this kingdom that has more adherents, more citizens than any earthly kingdom has ever known. And people all over the globe, at this very moment, in the few hours before, and the few hours after ours, is given how the sun moves and how we do time adjustments, people all over the globe are still finding a way to bow themselves before this king. Many of them have none of the beautiful accoutrement that we have. I can't afford the gift that we're going to buy. They don't have the the specialness of being blessed to be born in a, in a, in a nation like, like we've been born where we can worship freely. And yet sometimes through great persecution, great significant loss, real alienation, real persecution, they bow themselves before this king. And they acknowledge that king's worth in their lives. And Christmas moves on. And people worship the king. And God's agenda gets done. So I think reflecting on this passage there are about three real questions that help me get to the clarity about about what's really going on in our world at christmas we celebrate not only jesus coming into this world a long time ago but we celebrate that he still comes to us through his spirit through his spirit i want to ask you three three questions to just see kind of where you are on this three questions that have kind of been working through my heart over the last few days all right so I'm just calling this getting clarity about the truth of what's really going on. Let me ask you something. Are you right now in a relationship you have with a person or, or, or with your heavenly Father, are you trying to earn love and acceptance? Are you trying to earn that, live up to it? it, it it's a never-ending game if you are. You can't do it. You can never earn somebody else's, you can't ever make anybody love you, you can't make anybody accept you. And every bit of trying that you do to mold yourself to an image you think they want you to be, if they finally accept you on that image, then, then they haven't really accepted you at all, have they? They've accepted some projection you've given them. It leaves you empty and hollow. And yet people do this all over the world. They're doing it all over our community. Some folks are doing it in the church. We do it with the gospel. We try to live up to the thing that God has called us to. And we think that by living up to it, then somehow we've earned it. And yet the gift is there and it's free, that you're accepted as you are and a humble acknowledgement of the worth of our king and acknowledging that you're not perfect, that you're a sinner, and you come to him just as you are, and you bring the gift of your life, and he accepts you right there. It's why there's so much power in the gospel because people realize I can lay down my fight. I can lay down my projecting. Somebody's ask you, do you have a relationship where you're trying to earn, live up to, deserve the love and acceptance I'm not, trying to, I'm not talking about trying to be the best you. I'm not, I'm not challenging trying to uh, live up to what you know or put your best foot forward. All those are valid things, but I'm talking about at the base level, are you trying to earn this love and acceptance? If you are and you're a follower of Jesus, somehow the gospel has, has missed you. You don't have to do that. Christmas proves, if anything else, that God warms himself up next to people who don't deserve to have a connection with him. It's a beautiful thing. And and have you unwrapped that gift for yourself fully this Christmas? Here's here's my second question. Do you, like me, sometimes get distracted by stuff that doesn't really matter? Really matter. In my worshiping small W, do I get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter? Because I found when I big W worship, that stuff doesn't matter near as much to me. And when that other stuff begins to matter, there's some other blockage between me and the one to whom I'm ascribing w- great worth. Do you, do you like me to get distracted by stuff that doesn't really matter? I do it in my marriage sometimes. I get focused on one point. And driving in the one point, I miss the closeness and that connection and that acceptance and that love that God meant for me to have in my home. Number three. Do you know who God is and who you really are? And do you know what it says about you that God would come and gift himself to you? Like when he said to the shepherd, unto you has been born a savior. Of course it applies to everybody, but on a personal level, do you know what it means that he came for you? And he said, in effect, I can can know you. I do know you. And you can know me. You don't have to get all cleaned up. And I love you. And you can have a relationship with me. You can reciprocate back a love. And I celebrate who you really are. I like you. I've never thought an evil thought about you. I've never had a bad heart towards you. Have, you. have you recently unpacked what it means that God is for you, that God is with you? We have an incredible opportunity this holiday season to do just that. To carve out a little bit of time, maybe when we're together in a place like this, designed for people to worship God and to investigate His claims on our life. Take advantage of that. But where else can you do it? Where else can you investigate what it really means to know God and to be known by Him and who you really are then? What does that say about you? Well, here's what i like to do right now. I'd like to take a few next steps together try to push this envelope. So would you grab out your Connect card that was on your seat that pastors Matt and Greg talked to you about? It looks like this. We begin our next steps every week with the same first few. Next step A simply says, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to take that gift that was given to me, and, and I want to bring it into my life all the way. So, next step A, if you want to check that, when the offering buckets come by at the end of service, you put that in there as a way of letting us know, and then we communicate with you about the specialness of this Christmas gift. You're not joining our church or committing to give any money. You're just saying, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I'm going to humble myself and let the Lord of the universe become the Lord of my life. Or how about next step B? I want to get baptized. You want to celebrate the great thing that God's been doing in your life? that he's done, that he's accomplished, that he's not done with you yet, that he's with you, that you're not alone, that he's connecting you to himself and connecting you to others. We celebrate that through the act of baptism. You check that, put in the offering bucket. We'll communicate with you, answer your questions if you're not sure, and ultimately hopefully get you a specific date and time where we can celebrate with you as a family around here. Now how about next step C? Here's the prayer, literally the exact words I'm praying every morning. Father, today give me more clarity about who you are and who i am i have this simple uh, understanding that if we would acknowledge more the worth of the one in the manger who hung on the cross who was resurrected from the dead and who is still with us by his spirit it would change things it would impact how it would impact how i see myself and that might be the greatest gift that god's going to give you this christmas season Join me in praying this prayer. Check the box. We'll remind you about it through the week. How about next step D? Would you join with me in praying for the people that God's going to bring to our Eve Eve service? Because they need to hear the gospel about a Savior who forgives sin. No matter what their expectations and and presuppositions about this God is, if they come here on that night, we're going to lift their hearts in music. We're going to give them a great show, if you will. But underneath it all, there's a gospel that comes in power. We want them to unwrap for themselves the greatest gift of Jesus. Would you join us in praying about that? It's a big deal around here. There's always several dozen people who recommit or commit for the first time their lives to Jesus. And we think it's such an important thing, we should bathe it in prayer and intentionality. Or how about next step E? Many of you have already done this. I'm so proud of our church. I I believe we're going to supersede our goal and we're just going to be able to bless these organizations even more. But why don't you go ahead and land on the gift that you're going to give for the for the 4 seed Christmas offering. All you gotta do this week, if you haven't done it, this is what I'm gonna give and then later on you decide when you're gonna give it in a way that works with your family. All right, let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. God, we lift up the fact that we're not worthy and yet you are. And we didn't deserve it and yet you came. That we don't know how to connect with you so you paved the way for us. Father, right now I pray for those people that are acknowledging in their heart that they're a sinner. And they need a Savior. They're saying, God, forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. God, I pray for our church that somehow in the busyness and uh, the way we do family and the way we do church and the way we do work and the way we do partying and shopping, I pray that we would not miss the Savior. God, I pray for those people that you're going to send to this place on Christmas Eve Eve that our message, which is your message, would be compelling And they would unwrap the gift of Jesus, a gift that will impact not only that night, but the rest of their lives and all their eternity. We pray it in the strong and holy name of Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Amen.